Well, hello, everyone. I'm Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersectionality of spirituality and humanity. Let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are and be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together can be just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. And Marlena, that feels like we're sitting beside one another, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I have the honor of interviewing tonight. Well, kind of like introducing you more than just an interview. This is Marlena Glazer, and I'm going to tell a little bit about her, but then I'm also going to uh, give an announcement about her. Uh, Marlena is a single mother who has a story about her childhood emotional neglect, her childhood sexual abuse, and years of religious trauma. So a gentle warning goes with our discussions as we go into those topics for you today. Be supported. And if this is a, if this is something that you feel like you need to take a break from, then perhaps next week will be better for you. But if you feel safe enough, stay here with us because as always, we handle these conversations gently and try to provide a safe space for you. Uh, Marlena grew up in a conservative Christian fundamentalist church, and boy, does she have the stories for you. So when we talk about the journey of deconstructing and healing and really finding yourself Marlena's story will resonate with so many of you. And through her therapy work and her, um, the trauma-informed therapist, and remember that phrase, trauma-informed, because we're going to talk a lot about that. She has found her path to healing, and she is the owner of Gentle Hands Consulting, a lifestyle consulting business who assists others with in what she refers to as their trauma healing jumpstart. And what I'm honored to announce is that Marlena now joins Numa Soul Center for Transformation as our Director of Spiritual Guidance and communication. And so Marlena will be a presence here in uh, on our podcast as we discuss some of the programs and services that we'll be offering because we've listened to you and we know what you are asking for. And she will definitely be a presence inside our Patreon communities as we begin to expand the support that we are offering there. Marlena, thank you for being here. It's such an honor, as I said. Oh, it's an honor to be here with you. It's, it's a uh... I mean, so much I could say there. <laughs> well, uh, we said we were going to promise to keep this short, but watch us. We're, we're going to look at the clock and in a minute, it's going to be an hour. We're not going to do that. <laughs> we have so much to say. What I don't want to happen is for this to overwhelm you uh, and say, oh my goodness, that was a heavy podcast. But also I've noticed that some of the most uh, significant and poignant podcasts are the ones where you come back and say just the conversation, just the the people say the organic conversation that happens or when I go off on a tangent and it really resonates with you. So let's just see what happens. Marlena, I would love for you to start with, you started a while ago to, to tell me a little bit of your story. And uh, when we said, wait, it's time to press record and get this, start getting this on tape. So you have the platform. I'm going to give you the spotlight. You tell me where you want to uh, go with this because your what what I hit on there was your childhood, uh, your journey to healing, your experience inside church because that's a big one. That's a doozy. When we talk about the birth of Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. you were at the heart of it. Yes. And I think people really need to hear that and also what it means to be trauma informed. So you take your pick and we'll just go from there, friend. 
Any, meeny, miny, mo. Exactly. You know, it's funny because you asked me to keep it short, but anytime you and I get in a conversation, it's like, what are our meetings over? <laughs> I know it. I know it. But let me just first, let me first say it is an honor to be here. Um, and I have so much gratitude in joining forces with you. And it's so neat uh, in the way that uh, the universe just brings two people together. And there's such a, such a, you know, you always use the word kindredness. And for me, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it is that for, you know, people that are the general population, right? But there's a deep connection when you have experienced something in the way of cult-like thinking, you connect with somebody that has the same experience, and then you're like, yes, I have found my people. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And for a while, when you feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just was on right before our meeting, I had an, another discussion with somebody who has a similar experience and that whole feeling like, even though you may not, you, of course, you're not the first person who's ever gone through this, but at the time it feels like it is. And, you know, having these, having this, these platforms like this to find each other, because, you know, I love the fact that, uh, you and I met on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was our first. So what, when we talk about virtual sacredness, virtual, like not it, it just living in that realm and how the gift that this gives us, because these platforms are allowing us to expand what it means to be in community with one another. So very much feel the same as you do. Yeah. And one of the, um, one of the questions you had asked was, where am I finding community now? Mm. So this may be out of order. It doesn't matter. Uh, just go. That for me is so important. It's something I teach my clients. It's something I learned in my own, you know, my own therapy journey and uh, community is finding folks, family for me now is finding folks who are like-minded and there's an element of protecting what is now Mm -hmm. and each other each other's story. You know, your story is your story. My story is my story. And one thing that we, you and I, Carla, and anybody that comes from that radical conservative world, we were not taught boundaries. We were not offered boundaries. There was no such thing as boundaries in that world. So when we got to this space where we can like exert and exert ourselves and say, hey, no, you know, one of the things that I teach my clients in in just the first couple sessions is no is a complete sentence. And you and I know this at this point, but I think even for, even sometimes I forget, you know, to say no, and then feeling like I have to follow up and justify Mm -hmm. it. And I say all of that to say that I have found my people, my family, my friends, community of TikTok is that the healing and, and those of us that have done this work to get to this space, we get to teach another, you know, because age is a social construct. We've talked about this a lot of times. So we are like these elders who get each this next generation, which they're really not because some of them are older than us, you know, in, in deconstructing and how to really embrace who they are. I have a story of when I first started probably back in 2012 and I didn't leave the church until 2015. So 2012, I had a conversation with a friend who, I mean, it's a long story short, but I wanted to share my story with her around my sexual abuse. And this was somebody in the church, and this is somebody that was in ministry with me. And one of the things that we haven't talked about is that in that world, I was the founder and the director of a global nonprofit for single Mm -hmm. moms. And 
I can remember saying, I just want to find myself. Like, who am I? Who is Marlena? I knew, you know, that I was hiding my sexuality. I knew that I was married to a man and I had all these children at five at that time, four at that time, excuse me. And I just wanted to find out. And one of the things you just said when you introduced me was how we find ourselves, right? In that world, that is a sin. Mm-hmm. You lay yourself down and everything is about God. Everything in, in, in the way they describe who God is. And so when I first told my mother, I'm on a journey of finding myself, that was like death for her. She mm-hmm. thought for sure I was, you know, I was, it was the beginning of becoming the prodigal child for her. And my then husband, who is now my ex-husband, actually for the, one of the very few times, one of the very few times he ever defended me, got on the phone and said, leave her alone. And this is a very, I mean, and, and I don't really want to go into all that, but it, I mean, he is somebody who really still follows that dogma, right? So it, uh, it was a little shocking to me that that moment happened in my home, like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm, I need to do this. I need to do this. So, you know, and here I am, what is it? 11 years later, almost to the day. And I have come out. I have left the church. I have children that have been raised in both arenas. I have children who've been raised in only one arena. So that's fun as a parent, you know, because your oldest child is always like, what was I, the guinea pig? (laughs) Yes, for sure. Ask my daughter. Yes, buddy, you were. You were the guinea pig. You know, I'm always apologizing. (laughs) Yep. You know, so, and then, and now I've written, you know, a book about the whole story, but the stories are so, um, they're just deep and rich. Um, and now, you know, when you and I first connected and you asked me to send you, cause hiring me on as your director of spiritual guidance, you asked me to send you my resume. And do you remember when I texted you and I said, it's really weird to look at my portfolio and see yes. things yes. from ministry. <laughs> and you were yeah, like, you actually felt like so you had good. To, <laughs> I don't, I, but you felt like you had to qualify it as if, you know, I, that, that I, I would not understand that because so much, so much as a founder of a children's program in my church, yeah. as someone who has a lot of my leadership experience came from being an ordained elder, being an administrator, being able to coordinate thousands of volunteers to get something done. You know, there is, there are life skills that came from that. And Mm -hmm. it's a really good point. You made so many good points. I don't even know where to start, but I want to go back to what you said, where you said everything is about God Yeah, because you're absolutely right. And everything that you do in that, in that religious construct in such a, in that high control belief system is not only about God, but also do not put your suffering in front of Jesus's suffering. So in other, it always has to look through the filter of the, of, of how Jesus suffered for us, because anything that would, anything that happened in our world, if it took our eyes off of the leadership, what the leadership says is the highest priority in our lives is a threat to the patriarchal system. Correct. So, and that is your mother's only. Correct. Only beacon of light. That's her only truth is, is carrying water for that. Mm -hmm. She, She also sees herself. I've often said that I, my heart breaks for my grandmother, who was probably the best 
preacher out of all the Southern Baptist ministers in my lineage who never saw herself in that role because she submitted to the patriarchy. So in order to to serve as in ministry, she took a subordinate role that had her fundraising for vehicles and taking people around on trips and, and things like that. Not that she didn't enjoy it, but she could have been so much more. But but because of that, and that, that reminds me of what your mother was saying when she tells you that, or when she couldn't understand how you said, I, I need to find out who I am. That mm-hmm. is like one of the most egregious sins that we can make inside that belief system. Yeah, because you know, you're supposed to lay yourself down. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to lay myself down if I don't know who I'm laying down. Exactly. (laughs) So, So, you you, know, yeah. Well, you mentioned your book, and I want to make sure that we get that out for people who might want to find that. Uh, We will also get that on um, our website, but is it on Amazon right now? It is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll also get a link on our website at numasoul.com where Rev Carla has her book recommendations, but uh, just show your book and the name of it and what all is involved with that. Um, so I began writing this back in 2021 at the very beginning of my trauma healing. I wrote the first five chapters and one of the things it's a, for the general reader, I'll leave it at that. The way uh, the first five chapters are the way that I was triggered in that conservative world. Like the, and and it's almost speaking to my inner child. It it is literally, it's how, you know, I I didn't know what triggers were then. That's not a word I use. It's not a word we use then. It's it's demons. Battles are demons. And I kept having these visions of this little girl consistently chasing me down and um, following me. And um, and if you open the book in the very first couple pages is the picture of that little girl. And um, she's about four or five with pigtails. And and I describe all of that. But where I found her. In my mind's eye, where I found her was in a cave, dark, dark cave, sitting upon this big, large, cold rock by herself with her head down and her pigtails with her bobby socks and her Mary Janes and their hands in her lap. And it was me. Of course, I didn't know that. Like, it was just, I was like, who, like, what is happening? Like, this is really familiar. This isn't, you know, what is happening here? And even reference in the book, okay, maybe you're, you know, some part of, my mom's story because my mom terminated a pregnancy before me. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe, you're, you know, maybe you're this spirit that's visiting me in the night and trying to tell me something. I'm just going to listen. And I was having these awful dreams and I talk about it. And then I talk the next five chapters are my journey through three different therapists. And I call them the lesbian mother hen and the doc because we don't use names in the book, but that is how I reference them. And, and they all filled their role. And now I'm on my fourth therapist who just maintains, and he's this millennial agnostic gay man who went to seminary who just amazing (laughs) i love it you might have to give that name out to several people (laughs) so he's so i've had four therapists but the three that i talk about are in those second five chapters second that second part and then the rest is my story from from childhood on up until um just the last few years but integrating this little girl that was me with who i am now was the most pivotal moment of my entire life. And if I can, I'd love five minutes to share that story. But I was reading Tara Tara Brock's Radical Compassion. And I was laying in the bed by myself. Well, I was was the only one awake. I should word, word it that way. 
and I'm reading it and I've got my iPad. I was reading it on iPad because, you know, it's dark. And I was married then uh, to my ex-wife and feeling very alone in this healing journey. And she just says something in there about having compassion for your inner child, just having compassion for yourself. And I shut my eyes. I laid it down on my chest and I shut my eyes and I started to cry. And I went immediately was right back to that cave with that little girl. And I pulled her up into my lap. This I had this vision. It, and I got goosebumps telling you now, but I, I pulled her up into my lap. I sat down with her and I cradled her and I caressed her like I would one of my own children. And I brought her face up to mine and I said, I will never, ever leave you. And that was the moment that I integrated. And that's where the book name comes from. Because the next day I was on the phone with my therapist going, I am her. She's me. I'm her. She's me. I am her. And she is me. Like, that's me. That's me. (laughs) So it was this celebratory moment. But everything I had learned up into that point You know, there's toxic, and and this is a subject for another day, but there's toxic masculinity in the lesbian community. And I was living in it because that's all I knew. It was familiar. And it was just everything in my life just went click. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody who was, you know, me who was, when I was triggered, I, I was on the floor in fetal positions, crying and sobbing when I was in the middle of a fight and I couldn't understand what is wrong with you. Like, get up. What is wrong with you? But it was because I had no emotional, I had this high EQ and high IQ. So I've been told I, it is what it is by therapists. But when I was triggered, I was going back to utero. I had no emotional development. So everything inside of me was reacting from a place of utero. I had no. Well, and you and I were talking off camera about one of the first things that we want to discuss in detail is the inner child healing and where that's. Uh, a teaching that I see us bringing to the Patreon community and being able to talk uh, more in detail yes, about your experience yeah. and my experience, because um, why don't you talk, why don't you just share a, an overview about what uh, the inner child, what that looks like when it comes you shared your experience, but what exactly does it mean to, to meet your inner child? And, you know, somebody's out there right now thinking I've never heard that term before because we you know we've got all levels of deconstructing people people who are still feeling as if just listening to us is a sin yeah they're still dealing with that guilt and never have heard anything about the inner child so could you share a little bit about what that therapy looks like once you become aware or your desire to work in with inner child healing so the first step is always the reality right and creating this safe space for yourself in the same ways that you and I do for everybody else. And what happens is, is the reality comes, and I'm going to stick with religious trauma because most of my, I mean, everything about mine is, is, is around religious and then child abuse and, and all of that child neglect and sexual abuse. But, um, it started there. It started in that, in that church space, that mind frame. And so my, we talk about generational trauma. It's stuck. So my mother and my grandmother were both founding members, founding staff members of a very well-known TV evangelist church. And I refuse names because number one, I'm not giving the platform to anybody, but number two, we're going to keep it safe for both you and I. Sure. Um, So they were both founding staff members for him uh, of a part of his ministry for unwed mothers. So it was in me before I was, I was literally bred Mm -hmm. for this. So if for, for anybody that's listening, it's the knowledge that that started way before you could even speak. 
So there's a pre-verbal piece. And when, when we get to this place of, you know what, I really am in this place of just wanting to integrate all that child abuse, all of this abuse in my teens, because it's the same thing. How do I integrate all of that and become this whole full person without the man in the sky? <laughs> mm, that's good. And it is free will. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use some terms here that I think that will play on both sides. It's free will. If there's a peace that comes in knowing this is what I need to do for myself. It does not mean, and I'll be the first one to say it. I claim to be Buddhist Christian. You don't have to leave the church. You just have to find a different church. Mm-hmm. You can still love God. You can still love Jesus. You can still have all those parts of your faith and your spirituality. But what is best for you so that you're not relaying that or projecting that onto your children or the next generation. That's so good. That is such a critical part of healing. It's less about, you know, what you end up, where you end up. That's, that's always the biggest question. Like, where am I going? Where is this deconstructing healing journey (laughs) taking me? The journey really doesn't end. but, But that could scare people who have been basically they're kind of spiritually checked out because church teaches you how to be spiritual by checking the boxes, mm-hmm. get baptized, come to church, tithe, and then you're living this godly life that reflects the inner. When in reality, spirituality says there's no dichotomy and there's no separation of those. So what, who you are, but the collective who you are, not what you have to be to contort yourself, to be accepted into this, who you are is your spiritual essence. So what do you have to do to create the space that's sacred and, and holds the vessel? And so tying that to inner child work, oftentimes too, is those places where the inner, where the child development got stunted. We lost a part of ourselves because of trauma, because of abuse, because of neglect. And oftentimes that's very much close to the very systems of the people that were supposed to keep us safe, whether it's family, whether it's church leaders, whether it's educators, those places become stilted in our lives and they become markers. And so being healed enough to be able to turn back to those spaces and go, you know what, I want to go back and visit it from that space of not just saying, okay, I have to unpack these things. No, I'm intentionally looking back in my life and saying, I want to see myself as that little girl who was terrified to be alone with Mm -hmm. my family member because I knew what was going to happen when I would be. Mm -hmm. I need to go back and visit that space. And that, of course, that requires for some people like Marlena and I can sit, sit here and talk about it from a space of healing because I believe healing is we're always, we're always healing. I don't think we ever become healed. We always work on that. Just like we work on the body, we work on the mind, we work on our healing. Uh, We can do that because we we did the work. We have the therapy. So we have the words now to look at that. So having the qualified therapist, spiritual guidance is such an important part. So Marlena, one phrase that you used was trauma-informed therapist that you had that helped you, but also your training as a trauma-informed life coach. Mm-hmm. So can you sh- can you talk a little bit about what it means to be trauma informed? Oh, well, step number 1 is creating a safe space always. And the way 
you feel safe is not the same way I'm going to feel safe in any environment that can be your family. It could be with your friends. It could be your work. It could be anywhere. And, you know, like, don't get me started on trauma-informed businesses because there are very few and far between. And I wish we would have more. And what that means is, and this is where we, we flirt with the phrase snowflake. (laughs) Hey, but because nobody wants, you know, like in the, the patriarchal system, right? their boys have to pull their big boy pants on no crying get it together get it together I watched it for girls your feelings don't matter anymore and there is no in between you're either boy or girl there is no gender fluid Mm non-binary which I have those those children so it is a black and white world God is not a God of feelings in this world of being trauma-informed we love your feelings feel it all Like you are validated here. You are seen and what your perspective is on something, whether I see it your way or not, doesn't really matter. It's your perspective and I'm going to meet you in your perspective and I'm going to talk to you in that space. And we're going to, you know, I had a, I had a run in with a, with a client and her perspective was that I screwed her over. Okay. I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to refund you. It's the only one client I've ever had. 99% of my clients have walked through. It's only one okay, you're fully refunded. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's not a fight. What am I going to do? It was, mm-hmm. you know, but what can I do at that point? And is not to re-traumatize and realizing, <clears throat> excuse me, realizing that there was a much deeper issue there than what I could do as a oh, life course. Person. There you go. Exactly. It's you're right. You are right. In your mind's eye, you're right. And that's where we're going to meet you. And I want to create a safe space because if this ever happens again, I'm going to be right here. Mm. Not used, but I'm still going to be here. And I think that that is one of the things when we talk about inner child, we talk about being trauma informed and we have to go back and we have to parent ourselves. I know nobody wants to do it. I didn't want to do it. You didn't want to do it. Nobody wants to do it because that was our mama's job and our mama sucked at it. But that's because her mama sucked at it. And that's because generational trauma, right? Exactly. Especially in our, in our world. But we have to reparent her or him or them and meet. It's, it's the same idea. The way that I am to meet you where you are is the same way that I'm to meet minor child. Okay. That was your perspective. That was your experience. So we walk, we walk out of there from there, or I'm just going to sit down with you in it (laughs) for me, like where are we sitting today? You know, so, and when somebody is, when you're creating a trauma informed space and you come from a religious trauma background, this, this religion that we're in, it is learning how to say, are you asking for advice or do you just need me to listen to you today? That's so good. Because if you didn't ask me for advice, I'm not giving you unsolicited advice. I have a habit of doing that. I'm really well known for like, oh, I need to shut up. You didn't ask me for advice. (laughs) People that are close to me. But outside of that is, are you just venting? Did you just need an ear? Did you just need a safe space to just let go? Or did you want some advice? If you want some advice, I have all the advice in the world. If you just need me to hold your hand, we'll sit in here, hold your hand. If you need some chocolate ice cream, we are going to get ice cream. You know, it's it's whatever you need. What do you need, Carla? What do you need today? How can I support you? How can I love you? And, and there we go. We go back to the word love. And one of my favorite authors, I just listened to him this week. And this is the, I'm so excited to share this with you. And I think I shared it on my Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but the way he words something is that God is always at the table. It takes love to see him mm. for me changing that and saying the divine is always at the table. It takes love to open up to her. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I love the way you took the patriarchal language and the masculine definition of God and turned it into language that's safe for you and, and is still just as sacred. Yep. 
because uh, again, that's part of the deconstructing process. And oftentimes giving yourself permission, if God, if God is in all of us, then God is indeed divine feminine. And God then means we can give that language that allows us to be seen at the table as well. So I, so, I so love that. And by the way, I appreciate your almost daily text where you say, how can I support you today? Even though I sometimes will be like, I don't have time to answer that right now. It is like a, it's like a burst of love. Uh, I can be in the middle of writing. I see it come in and I'm like, Oh, that feels so good. That feels so good. I feel so supported. And it, it's like a shot of love. So thank you so much for doing it. And I eventually, I eventually answer. She she always comes back. She doesn't leave me on red. (laughs) That's good. I want, I also want to uh, talk about something that you said tripped you up a little bit because I didn't know where this question came from, but I'm going to put you on the spot. You know, like I said, um, Marlene is going to be coming into these podcasts quite often because as the director of spiritual guidance and resource, I want you um, to first of all, get to know her, number one. Number two, it's important for you to hear what's going on with our services and what's happening uh, inside NUMA Soul Center for Spiritual Transformation. And that's, she's going to be integral to those programs. But, and so we will expand more on these. We're kind of hitting the hot, the high notes tonight. And then we're going to dive deeper into them in in other podcasts going forward uh, throughout the year. But when I had suggested that you come on here today, I had put this as one of the things that we would discuss. And I wrote the intersection of religious indoctrination and familial bonds and wounds. Now we've talked a little bit about that, but what does that phrase mean to you? On this side of your, I want to give it a little bit of context. I'm asking from the the point of you have had an extensive healing journey and we're going to hear more about your your story as time goes on, but what does that mean from you for you? You know, sometimes I'm so far removed from the religious trauma that I, I even forget. I was reminded this morning of a, a situation that I completely forgot about. Mm-hmm. And it came up from somebody challenging me on the book I'm writing and giving me some feedback on it and I'm going, Oh, I forgot. I had told her this story and she remembered it. She's like, I really think this needs to be in the book. And it kind of took me back to that place. So I think I'm asking, I'm asking if that helps give you context, when you look back, what do you see as far as where those intersections were, how those were challenged in you and where you are today with them, with your religious, your indoctrination, but also how that affects your familial uh, bonds from, I guess, your extended family, but also your intimate family, your children. And I'll stop. You have enough, you have enough clarification now. So it's so funny because you said this to me and then for like six days, I'm going intersectionality with my family and my religious, this is what's happening in my head. Like I'm driving like religious one. I mean, religious trauma, my, the wounds. Well, shoot. I would have stopped at that 2012. <laughs> <laughs> There's no intersectionality. There is, but it was, it was, I stepped away from my extended family. So brief snapshot, my grandmother emotionally raised me, my maternal grandmother. My mom was kind of in and out. And then through the years, my grandmother's the person that I leaned on emotionally. So she kind of gave me some of the emotional regulation that I have now, because I don't think I would have any if it had not been for her. Mm-hmm. I, you know, she's the one that I could lay my head in her lap and coddled. 
if I, my mother never touched me, never. So there was no healthy touch except from, you know, this person who pretty much saved my life. She saved my life. And, and then, you know, we, all family has dysfunction and she's got her own, you know, I've got my own, we've got some things there, but she is now in her mid eighties and being taken care of by my aunt who's six years older than me. And they're the only two of three family members I talk to. Hmm. And have, my grandmother had five children. One was my mother. My uncle uh, is one who um, sexually abused me early on. And this is where the story is going. And this will be a, a very heavy moment, if you will. And then it may, and I'm just going to reiterate the whole trigger because it's going to. So last Thursday, I'm standing in CVS and my grandmother, who never calls me because she's in her mid eighties and dementia said it, she doesn't, I call her. I get a phone call and she used his name, which I'm not going to hear. And she said, he's dead. Just like that. And I'm standing and I was with someone else. And she looked at me and said, you need, cause she could put it together. She's like, you need to go out. And she took care of everything. And I went out to the parking lot. I was in shock. I was in so much shock. And it wasn't this shock of, oh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. It was, I never thought that that would be a phone call I'd ever get. You know, I just, I haven't seen or spoken or, you know, I I did a bunch of healing and back in 2012, 13, 13, 2013, my grandmother sat me down and told me that this person admitted everything to her and verbatim said to her, mom, you're going to hate me. I messed up a lot of little children's lives. He admitted it. One week later, my mother calls and my mother says, I still don't believe her. Why doesn't she believe her? Because why doesn't she believe me? I mean, because it would mean accountability. Mm -hmm. I know that. But in the moment that my grandmother told me, and then that happened back in 2013, so 10 years ago almost, I found forgiveness because he comes from the same line of trauma that I come from. And it's happened to him. I get it. Not that I wanted to be around him. I wasn't subjecting myself to him anymore. I wasn't going to subject my children to him anymore. And my grandma and my mother became the monster in that moment more than he ever was. So I tell you all this because my grandmother says to me on the phone when she calls and tell me this last week and says, I didn't know if it would bring up a bunch of stuff for you. And I didn't want to trigger you or to hurt you or to bring it all. And I'm so, I'm so upset. I'm like, I'm so, I was scared and nobody else was going to call you. And I said, stop, I'm okay. I'm at peace. And I could hear this like exhale and she's crying. So now my grandmother who still believes in the same ways that I was raised says to me, and she starts crying uncontrollably and she says, yes, but I don't know if they did it, if he did a deathbed salvation. Is a soul in heaven? Mm. Oh. So this is where it intersects for me. Oh, wow. Now, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel this. So that, so she, yes, go. So she's, and I said, my mom, that's what I call her. I, she's my hero in a lot of ways. And I do not believe the same way that she believes. And she loves me for who I am. Even now that I'm out, she was at my wedding. Okay. She supported me, but I'm listening to her. And I said, there's not a single person around you. That's going to tell you it's okay to feel what you feel. Number one, she said, I know. I said, I will always tell you it's okay to feel. Cause she said, I don't know whether to be happy or to be sad. That's my son. And I said to her on the phone, he is a son. He is a brother. He is a father. He's an uncle. There's sadness. It's okay. But he was also battling and used her terminology, a lot of demons. It's not terminology I would use today just for everybody to know. It's not something I would say. 
And she said, yes, he was. Yes, he was. But what if, what if, what if? And I said, he is at peace and he is no longer being tortured by his soul. I am so glad. And I hope he rests there for the, you know, like rest in peace. I found forgiveness a long time ago and and I walked through all that, but I, I, and forgiveness is, you know, we're taught in the, in that world that forgiveness is just, you automatically give it, forgive, forget, move on. It's an obligation. It's an obligation. That is not therapy works. It is not the goal. It is never the goal. And we don't even talk about it in trauma therapy. Yeah. That, that, that that right there will be a, a, a podcast conversation for sure. And, and I just said, she's like, well, I always believe that the devil is sitting on one shoulder and God is sitting on the other and you have a choice. And I said, well, I don't believe that way anymore. And I said, and I've watched that man run the aisles in church, crying out to God to save him. He begged for people to hear him, to save him. As I was a little girl, I watched this man who hurt me cry out to God over and over again. He was not okay mentally, he had a mental illness. And then he had all the generational trauma on top of him. So if I can be in this place and I could look at him and then I can look at my grandmother and say, he's at peace and you need to find that. And it's okay for you to be happy. It's okay. It's okay for you to be happy. It's okay for you. Like the black and white thinking is not there. You know, two things can be true at the same time. All the things can be true at the same time. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be joyous. It's okay. Mm. And it was conversation and I was supposed to call her and I didn't call her back, but you know, it, we hung up and I felt, I felt better because I got to speak to her in that way, in a way that nobody else in my family is going to talk to her. So that's where I want to go with this because for when you first said that the shift from you dealing with the fact that your abuser, you were holding space with the news that your abuser had died to the point where the woman who you revere as a emotional caretaker in your childhood, now you are turning to be a comforter. Mm -hmm. And what I want people to hear from this is your healing journey made you available to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Correct. If, If you had not gone through it. So, so in the moment there, there, I want someone, someone needs to hear this. It is okay if you cannot be that person, if you cannot be that comforter. That's yes. not that's not to hear Marlena's story and say, oh, I'm I didn't do that, or I can't do that. That means you can't do it now. Correct. That means, you know, where where we are right now with the resources that we have, I that is that's who we are. But if we're if we're committed to healing, who will be three, five, ten years from now? Because if this had happened to you six years ago, who knows how, what your response would have been. But what I love about it is that you showed that both can be true, that you needed space and more. And and it could be the fact that you didn't call her back because you still are, you are still are processing some of this. So you are making space for your healing, but whatever allowed you to put that away for a minute to say, my grandmother needs me. Mm -hmm. Because in her indoctrinated belief, her fear was overtaking her and you had the capacity in that moment to comfort her is so beautiful. And you did that. And probably why this, this question of religious indoctrination and familial bonds, hello and wounds is like, it's always there. This whole thing about boundaries Mm -hmm. started with hello. Yes, please keep going. Let me add one thing to this. I reached out to 
uh, one of the three therapists I mentioned, mentioned in my book, I referenced her as mother hen. And I said, I need to share this with you. This is what happened. And she said, isn't it amazing? Cause I said to her, he doesn't have a hold on me anymore. He never had a, like, it was, it's, there's so much peace in the healing. Like he doesn't have that hold. And, and there are other people in my life and you learn about them in my story. He's not the only person that's hurt me, but he was the first one. And it probably younger than two. My earliest memory is two, but probably younger than two. And and all the way up until probably 16. But I, it was this most, it was peaceful. And she said, isn't it great that you can exemplify your healing and how much he doesn't have a hold on you anymore? Oh, my goodness. You know, and we learn, oh, just set it down, you know, but that would not have happened. And like you said, for the people that are listening, you may never get to that place. That is like, statistically, that doesn't happen. (laughs) Some of us are holding on to it until until we're dying and we hate the person and it's okay. Hate them. You're allowed to do that. You can hate them. You can shun them. You can put them in, you know, wherever you need to put them in your mind because they did hurt you. They did. So you know, for anybody listening, I want to make sure that they understand that this is not, I don't want that triggering any of that, but you know, I, um, yeah, but those, was, those moments where you can exemplify your healing, it may not look just like what you just described, but they're there. And it's yeah. all about how can we turn back to our world, a better version of ourselves, a healed version of ourselves. So we're available to those we love. And in that moment, that's what you were. That's what our, our healing is, is often about. If we can bring that not only peace, but then joy in our inner circle, our sacred, our most sacred inner circle of those that we have closest to the, to us. Hopefully those are the people that you are, that you not only love the most, but you're safest with. And that's, that's another thing, but you said something and I'm making this another uh, note here. Uh, just set it down. That I just went from zero to 60. Remember, i I think I have forgotten that phrase. Just set it down. Oh, put it at the feet of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Just lay it at the Lord's feet. Oh, Lord. And that, and somehow miraculously, it's supposed to be done. But really, it's words for don't talk about it anymore. That Correct. That's it. You have now done that. Do not bring it to your church, spiritual community, because you set it at Jesus' feet. You know what? One of the, the biggest pieces that drove me to that, that healing, though. And you'll get this because you were in ministry. I am a monster in somebody's life. There is somebody out there. And I know it to be true because I, I spoke to thousands, thousands of single mothers across the world. I know it to be true. And statistically, I mean, how, what's the percentage of those that were in the closet and battling their sexuality like me? And I was preaching against homosexuality. So I am a monster in somebody's story. And that's how I would want them to meet me. Hmm. Marlena, thank you. Oh my goodness. I, the time has gone by and this is, this might be a good stopping for, uh, yeah. for us this month, but <laughs> I wanted to just offer you to give what, what, whatever closing thought, what are you thinking about this time, but also your role as director of spiritual guidance and communication, for Numa, uh, you're just getting started in that role, but maybe share a little bit and then I'll, I'll do the closing out for the podcast. So I, I always will say, I don't really feel like I have a whole lot to share, but I, we all know that we talk just like Carla can. So <laughs> um, I think that where I am in this space 
it is surreal to me that I am back in some sort of ministry role, but supportive. Like I'm not leading. That's all you. That's that's all you, girl. You do that. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I feel very uh, at at peace being back here. And um, I mentioned my fourth therapist. And when I first started with him, I said, I'm afraid to pick up the microphone again. I'm afraid. I'm afraid because it was triggering for me. And he's like, did you think about just starting small? Like, you know, you just wrote your book, just small. You know, they keep it real. Millennials keep yeah. it real. Yeah. <laughs> and he's sure. my friend every, every other week. But, you know, so here I am. And then out of the blue, out of the blue, here I am stepping into this role with Numa Soul. And I am getting to watch so many people comment or message you and see the, like, just the beginning of the evolution of where you and I were at once. And it's so damn beautiful. Yeah. You know, the rawness, the vulnerability, the fear, even the fear, because for them to express fear in their comments or whatever, that's a massive, that's a massive place of vulnerability. And, and I get to be a part of an organization that creates a safe space that, that wants to be trauma-informed, that want, I didn't have that. You didn't have that. That's why we're here, right? And so as these, as, as folks are walking through their journey, wherever they are, because we're all in different parts of our journey and nobody's better than the next person, is, is just being in this supportive role and getting to come under. And I know that not everybody can see me, but as I cradle my hands and just saying, okay, like we're going to just keep you safe right here. Just keep you safe right here. And then sending them off into the world to be, to do what, to do what you're doing, to do what I'm doing, to be able to speak into the lives of other people. It's a massive movement. Movement. You say it all the time that this movement of deconstruction is, it's massive. Yep. You say it all the time. I hear you in, in, in your words, in your videos, the, when we text, how cool is it that it's worked full circle? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Marlena Glazer, director of communicate director of spiritual guidance and communications for Numasol. I'll get that right in a minute. I even say sometimes what's my title? I don't even know. Do I have a title? Yes, you are, you are Rev Carla. Rev Carla. That's that's who I you am. Are as my the fearless leader. <laughs> as my grandchildren call me, I'm also Tata. If you want to get a hold of Marlena, we don't have her completely set up on email yet, but you can email us at info at numasoul.com if you have any questions about upcoming programs and services. Um, but now I'll do the closing out. You can find our show notes uh, wherever you are listening to this podcast. We will be putting in Marlena's book as well as some of the books that and some of the things that we uh, referenced here in this podcast. If you'd like to watch the uncut version of today's episode, you can do so on our YouTube channel. And also please subscribe because that helps us in that algorithm universe. You can also check out our Patreon and join the Numasol membership and access all of our unique opportunities, including both bonus content and our weekly live sessions there. And I invite you to, of course, to connect to us with us on uh, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find all of those platforms, at our social media links at our website, revcarla.com or Numa Soul Center for Spiritual Transformation at numasoul.com. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. And I prayed you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love. 
and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I will see you soon. Bye for now.